This is Transparency, a podcast by Gender Dysphoria Alliance, hosted by Aaron Kimberly and Aaron Terrell. Each week we'll be joined by people who have personal or professional experience with gender dysphoria and physical transition. We'll also discuss how our trans experiences relate to the concept of gender identity. Join us for a compassionate yet heterodox approach to the question of trans. So, yeah, I'm really interested in this idea of the, the you know the whole gender I- ideology thing, and um, we started an interesting an interesting conversation about it on Twitter about this idea of learning the gender ideology and then kind of snapping out of it. And, and you had mentioned that you were in the trans community when that happened, and maybe first we can kind of define w- what we mean by gender ideology. Yeah, that's yeah, a good place to start, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. the, the kind of the, the, I think the foundation of it is that somebody's internal, uh, internal sense of identity or pro- proclaimed identity. Uh, and that's the tricky part is, is, is it's what, what's happening internally. That feeling seems to be so different for every person who, uh, you claims to be trans or transitions. Um, so that's the, that's where it starts to get shaky, but th- that aside, um, I, th- I guess gender ideology is is just the notion that yeah, whatever that that professed identity is, it is paramount to biological sex. It um, it basically erases your actual sex, and um, and and yeah, and that and that internal identity is sacrosanct above uh, anything else. Um, and um, I'm not sure to what extent I believed it in that sense. Um, yeah, I don't. Yeah, what, what, what's your take on that? I mean, what, how would you define gender ideology? Yeah, that's. A, I've been thinking about that. It's a, it's a tough question. I mean, I I know what I, I know what I think it means now, but it, I'm thinking about what did I think it meant back at the time when I first transitioned. It was. Um, I don't think I had worked all that part out in in my head, right? I mean, sure. what it looked like for for me in the community. Um, cause I was more in the, like the butch, les- butch femme, uh, scene. Uh, right. Yeah. And, um, and in that community, I mean, it was almost presented as here are your two options. You can be, a, you can be a butch or, or you transition and, and be an FDM. And, and at that time, like that was 15 years ago at that time, um, you know, the butches and the trans men were, were in community together for the most part. Right. Right. And, and so it was sort of presented as here's your two options. Like, okay. Um, and I don't think anyone really believed that they were men. It was just a kind of a, yeah. kind of a different way to be a butch, you know, you yep. know right? Like right. Okay. To masculinize and, and everyone had their own reasons for, for doing that. But right. So, yeah. the, I mean, this whole idea of you actually, become the other sex yeah that's kind of a new thing it seems like it, especially in the, in the last few years it seems that that's really ramped up and has become the mainstream understanding and and so and i've been out of the loop from the trans community and and the lesbian community for quite some time so so i was a little bit surprised that that shift in thinking is has happened 
Yeah, it was a surprise. To me. I mean, I transitioned later than you did. I transitioned ten years ago, so a, a bit later, kind of at the at the start of the of the mainstream boom of it. Let's say, um, I guess the real boom was probably about 50, five years later in two thousand fifteen. Um, but so I I was I wasn't I was never really a part of the trans community, and that I didn't have any uh, local trans friends, anything like that. I just had always had dysphoria. I found out that transitioning was something I could do. I went ahead and did it. I was on like a, quite a few online forums and stuff for trans men. But the, the, the thought process all along was that, w for me, was certainly that I was a trans man, that I was always going to be female. That was never going to change. But I would be able to present and live um, uh, socially or even superficially as another man. Um, and so that was my goal. I was and also for me at the time I was thinking, um, because I, I didn't know any, any, uh, like trans men personally or in relationships or anything like that. So my thinking at that time as well was I'm basically, this is me deciding to be celibate for the rest of my life because nobody's going to want to be with like a man, female hybrid thing, you know, and it, that seemed like a perfectly, perfectly reasonable trade-off to me as well. I was like, no, this fixing this means more to me than, you know, like, um, like a partnership, right? Like if that wasn't really a big deal to me, I've always been fairly solo and it like, it wasn't a big deal to me. Um, and then it was basically, yeah. Anyway, so I transitioned again, turned out I didn't have any problems, uh, dating people. But, um, when I, I, I had been out of this scene for about seven years, right? So I was kind of heavy in the message board since the beginning when I was first transitioning. And then I just started living my life, you know? Yeah. I, I actually end, ended up going on getting a bachelor's degree. I, I had a couple of jobs in the meantime. Um, and and I was just sort of living life. Mostly, I think I think with that, after about a year or so, I totally passed as a man and just lived as such. Um, I, I, was, uh, I wasn't stealth entirely. I, I, there was a period in my life um, a few years ago where I was uh, stealth for all intents and purposes, but anybody who could like look through my Facebook timeline just a, a few years back is going to know. Um, so I wasn't really super worried about it. You know, it was just kind of like, I'm, I am a trans man. Like I was just, it wasn't a big part of my life, but it was, certainly wasn't anything that I was hiding. Um, and then, and then it was three years ago, I started dating another trans guy um, and uh, quite a bit younger than me. Uh, he was 25 at the time we were started dating. I was 33. Um, and, and that's when I got the, when I got wind of what, how things had changed. Um, and at first I just thought that maybe he was a little bit weird, a bit, you know, a gung ho on gender juice. Um, but then he would introduce me to uh, some friends that were also like in the local trans community. I had no idea there was such a thing as a local trans community, but suddenly there were all these young trans men. Um, and so at first I was like, dope. Like <laughs> I'm quite homosexual in that direction. Right. And so, yeah. uh, but then I, then I started realizing, wait, this is actually pretty alarming. Like um, so many of them, uh, we're talking about transitioning despite not, they didn't have dysphoria. They were transitioning to be trans. And I was like, well, that, that sounds worrying. And then also, but at the same time, it's not saying no, no dysphoria. They would also say things like, um, well, I'm, um, uh, you know, I don't have female genitalia. I have male genitalia because I identify as a man. And I was, and that's when I was like, these two things are and like, it, it just got to real loony land. It's like you, yeah. first of all, don't like you, 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 you don't even have dysphoria. You transition to be, tr to be trans, but then also you, 
you are male because you say you want, like, it was just like, and then the more people I would talk to online, because I started it, that's when I kind of woke up to it. So I started, I got back into the trans community online and they were all saying virtually the same things. And I was like, what, what is going on here? Like, this yeah. is absolute madness. Um, and then, so again, that was about three years ago. The Rowling thing happened a year ago. And that's when I was like, okay, we've gone batshit and uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got to start talking about this. So I yeah. know. Yeah. It, and that's been my experience in the community is as well, that there seemed there's it's kind of like the worst thing about being trans is being a part of this community. I, I mean, I never had a, a lot invested in being a part of a trans community, but you're I was in contact with people because we were utilizing the same services and I attended conferences and, you know, looking for support and things like that. And one of the hardest things I think about being trans is you're in this community with people that have such completely different ways of identifying and understanding their experience. And any, I mean, what, 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 um, what people are experiencing now, you know, whether it's, you know, the, the, the turfs or um, people in the mainstream experiencing the hostility. I mean, that kind of hostility has been within the trans community for forever. And now it's that mm. mainstream, <laughs> but so, because you go to these conferences or you're on online forums or, or, you know, chat groups with other trans people. And as soon as you say anything about what you think, gender dysphoria is what it means to be trans how do you identify yep. it immediately blows up into a big hostile fight yep because nobody see everyone seems to have their own version of of what that means and and right it, it's mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's so confusing as you say like when you really try to pull apart these identities and these narratives that that none of it makes sense it's like well i'm i'm trans but uh, but no, I'm actually, you know, a man and it, like the logic of it doesn't make sense. Yeah. The logic doesn't exist, I think, you know? And so I think that's why it always breaks down into such, uh, such infighting and such hostility is because it's, it's self-evident that these experiences are either unrelated or even contradictory, uh, in some senses. And so you, when you, when you put your experience forward and it, completely conflicts with somebody else's experience everybody has this sudden insecurity that wait this isn't this isn't real <laughs> like yeah. it, 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 it when when you have when you present these conflicting narratives it it, it, it yeah creates yeah. i think it's very very much the same reason why i think deeply religious people are quite hostile towards people who are who are deeply religious in another faith is because it's like we can't both be right you know and it causes a great amount of insecurity because it's like you know, one of us is profoundly wrong. Um, in that case, and in this case, I think we're all wrong. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> there's, yeah. no, there's no truth in any of it. So, and, you know, you, add, like, you mentioned the dating thing, you add that, and it's just this extra layer of complication. Because for those of us that I'm no longer part of the lesbian community, but initially in my transition, I was. And, mm -hmm. and like I said, there were the butches, and then there were the trans men, and this, this tension between butches and trans men. Yeah, I think a lot of butches really resented um, mm -hmm. those of us that, that transitioned. They kind of felt abandoned and, and betrayed by us. Right. Um, and then there's, there's lesbians that will date both butches and trans men, and then men, trans yeah. men, they get really angry about that, saying, well, if, if, you're, if you're attracted to me, then you're not seeing me as a man. Right. Uh, so it's... 
it's so complicated. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that can, that I think can, can really do a number on a person's mental health is trying to find this, this yeah. narrative, right. That, that makes sense. Cause our brains work through narrative. We need a story to piece everything together. And, yeah. and, and there's no, there's no story that really makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Except I think the idea that we have gender dysphoria. Yeah. And this is a treatment for it. Yep. You know, and, but we don't actually biologically change sex. I mean, that's, right. that's the narrative to me that, that makes sense that I've been able to settle into that, mm -hmm. that doesn't cause that kind of constant cognitive dissonance. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep, same. I got there, I think, about, about just two years ago. I was like, because for, for a long time, I sort of lived with this narrative that, um, that my body was, was raw, right? Um, well, that, I mean, that's, that's obviously kind of, kind of where gender dysphoria comes from in the first place, but I meant like that was the actual narrative is that there was something literally wrong with my body. My brain was correct. I was supposed to yeah. be male, right? Yeah. And, so, and so I was, I, for a long time, I thought of myself as like a male with a birth defect. Um, so that, that being female. So it's like, I never believed that I was male, but it was more like this, yeah, a, a narrative that, that you kind of tell yourself to cope with. Um, but, uh, and I thought that was relieving. I thought that was a relief to dysphoria to think of it that way. Uh, but it's not at all. Like when I, once I realized, I was like, no, I am just a female who has gender dysphoria and changing my body to come cosmetically look you know, like a man and present as a man is relieving to me. Like that's just, yeah. that, that's, that's the most, um, yeah, grounding way to look at it. Um, but then when you present this narrative to the, um, to the community at large, um, you have internalized transphobia and you're, yeah. you know, um, you know, invalidating your own identity. Um, yeah. yeah so it's interesting to me that the community has rejected a narrative that I actually find has been helpful for my mental health. Right. Um, Cause I tried different, different ways of doing this too. Right. I mean, trying to, it's like kind of cycling through narratives yep. over the last 15 years, trying to figure out, okay, like how do I just kind of settle into this decision that I've made? Because transitioning did help my dysphoria. Yeah. Yeah. But it was the narrative part that I could never really nail down in a way that where I could just mm -hmm. settle in and, and, and not have that, constant sort of internal struggle and um where was i going with that yeah so it's it, it you know and so what i landed on and, and i so maybe now we can talk about just kind of how we worked our way out of that right and, and landed on, mm. on accepting that that dysphoria is it's all up here right whether whether they end up realizing it's it's purely a you know a mental health condition or a cognitive condition or a neurological one, whatever, either way, it's, it's, it's in our heads, right? Exactly. Yep. Um, yep. You know, so for me, I, I think I arrived there by reviewing the medical literature and, and discovering, you know, there's no, there's no evidence for any of those other narratives, you know, so yeah. whether it, the narrative of, um, you know, that the, the, this isn't psychological in any way that it really is that, you know, we have a, we have a male brain and it's our body that's wrong. I mean, that narrative would be fine if it was true, right? but, but there's no evidence of that in the literature, right? There's no, right. There's, there's hardly, there isn't even evidence that there is a male brain and a female brain, let alone, you know, so if you can't prove that, then how do we prove that we have a, a male brain? Right. Um, 
there may be some evidence that there, there there could be a neurological reason for gender dysphoria, but but that's that's very different than a male brain and a female body. It is, yep, yep, yep. Like uh, in our case, it could be like overexposure to to testosterone in utero, right? Could give you that that kind of more more masculine interests, more masculine let's say identity for lack of a better word. Um, and that can, yeah, that can certainly cause dysphoria, but that doesn't mean that your brain is literally male. It just means that, you know, you might be more, more attuned to more masculine things than, than other, than other girls, you know, yeah. but um, for me, what um, was just listening to, uh, from what helped me dig out of it was listening to other people, primarily detransitioners and people who are the never transitioners, as it were, people who, well, I've had dysphoria all my life and I've never transitioned, you know, or, or people who transition despite never having dysphoria and, or people who detransition despite having very clinical, like typical, uh, experience of dysphoria growing up and transition didn't work for them. It's like this, this isn't one thing. We are not just trans this is this is a series of experiences that lead somebody to one conclusion or another and it's how we how we work to solve it um that's that's relevant um but but again the 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 gender ideology that we're trying to fight here is very much saying the exact opposite is that we are born this way um and it is innate and it is uh, tantamount to torture to uh not let people you know not, not not let i'm not about not letting but like to to not affirm immediately right um and and immediately affirming is obviously so dangerous for so many reasons um but yeah I, that's how i dug out of it was just listening to so many other people and also like reading blanchard <coughs> and really paying attention um when i when i would listen to the experiences of dysphoria or just experience of, of transness, as it were, um, from the uh, the MTFs versus the F to Ms. And it's so clearly drawn on very female and very male lines. It's like, typically, on our side of the aisle, it's very socially motivated, it seems. And then on the on the male side of the aisle, it's very sexually motivated we, on, a, on whichever Blanchard typology you're looking at. And even if it isn't as as dichotomized as, as, as Blanchard made it, it still seems to be a, from a very sexually motivated place in virtually all um, male to females. Um, so, and then in our case, it rarely seems to be sexually motivated, except in the case of fleeing sexual abuse or sexual harassment and like kind of hiding under a veil of male. Um, and that's, um, and that's so important, you know, to, to, to confront that. So. Yeah, it's really hard, you know, to get people in the community just just talking about their, you know, like why they did it. Yeah, I mean that people that that people cling so so much to whatever narrative they've landed on, or, you know, whether whether it's the then I got a male brain and a female body, or or just this you know mysterious sort of gendered soul that sometimes people talk about. I mean, people cling to that so yeah. much, and it's hard to get them to open up about. Well, come on. I mean, what was actually going on for you prior to making this decision to transition? What was going on for you? You know, mm -hmm. what were the different factors that motivated you to, to take that, that step? And, but the, those that, that in my life, you know, because people never talk about it in the public forums and stuff, but um, some of the guys that I, that are, I have a close relationship with in my life have started opening up about that, you know, talking about, mm past histories of sexual abuse or um 
you know, these, these different, um, these different life stories, different motivations. Some have said that, you know, they did it for political reasons and mm. um, never intended to, to be a man. They just, they, you know, <laughs> more, more along the lines of, of the queer theory idea of female okay, yep. identity. Okay. Um, or some saying, well, no, I still identify as a butch, but I just, I wanted to just appear more masculine. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, so you, I've heard all these different reasons for why people transition, but that's, that's never the stuff that the public gets to hear. I don't think even, you know, most of the time, I don't think that the doctors are hearing that. Yeah. Right. It's, it's sort of these private conversations that I, I don't, I haven't been, I haven't had any close uh, trans female, trans, trans women friends. So most of my social circle has been um, trans guys. Okay. So, yeah. I have, so I don't have much insight into uh, into the trans women's experience, really. My my experience entirely is um, uh, is well. I mean, I've known a few few trans women uh, uh, personally uh, via work and whatnot, but never like not on a like on a, a like a friendship level, a deep like interpersonal relationship level. But where I where I've gleaned all of my insight is just lurking lurking in online communities. Um, I, I'm not sure what. Um, uh, like what can be gleaned from that, but it's like communities where people are opening up and sharing with each other on the grounds of a similar experience and reading these things and just sort of like, I'm just sort of like background data crunching at all, essentially, like just, just reading these stories and kind of, you know, turning it into some sort of, like this is all, all um, like not intentional. I'm not keeping a spreadsheet or anything, but I'm essentially just like slowly analyzing all this disparate information. I'm gleaning from all these different, um, uh, social networks where these conversations are happening. Um, so a lot of it could be inferred. Like what I'm getting is, is just sort of like in, um, could, could be partially inferred by my, you know, whatever bias is going into my analysis, you know, could be there as yeah. well. But, um, but yeah, that's where I've, uh, uh, what I've been doing for the, like the last uh, three years is just, you know, watching YouTube videos of people's experiences and reading their forums and whatnot. And, and just sort of, um, yeah, kind of, kind of, subconsciously piecing it all together until yeah. suddenly I was like, I was like, we are, we are, we, yeah, this is, is very dangerous. The way that the medical profession is handling this, when it's all on, it's all on the internet for anyone to see that this is not an innate thing, you know, mm -hmm. um, except maybe in the case of autogynophilia, that's the only thing that could be uh, very much. Um, um, as I said, like um, it, 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 unalterable, right? Yeah. Um, but that's another conversation, I think. <laughs> uh, has has your gender dysphoria e evolved over over the years? Well, it definitely uh, transitioning uh, virtually erased it. Um, so that's that's kind of a um, not not hypocritical, but um, in that I, while I'm very skeptical of medical transition. I do have to acknowledge that it, it did essentially cure my dysphoria. Like I, I had pretty bad dysphoria. Um, most of which I, I was able to keep in the background, um, kind of compartmentalize all my life. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. I didn't have a word for it. I didn't like know what gender dysphoria was obviously. And again, I think we're also obviously lumping a bunch of disparate experiences into that, into that category. Um, uh, but, but, I I always felt like I I just I just wanted 
more than anything in the world to have been a boy. Like it was like just, a, it was an obsession. I felt like, um, I've started to unpack where that came from. And I think it was just the fact that I was a tomboy and I was in a cons very conservative Christian upbringing. And I was constantly being told, don't do that. Girls do this. Girls do that. God made you a girl behave this way. And I think over time, I just, I had a lot of shame about not being a girl so much as, well, um, okay. So I think I'm jumping forward, but I, um, I, I started to, I think I started to like, kind of internally think that if, if I were a boy, I would be free and, and all my friends were boys. And I think I just sort of started to develop this idea that it was my body that was wrong because, because I really felt like I should be a boy. And so, so I didn't have sex dysphoria as a kid, but I think the sex dysphoria developed as a result of feeling like my body is not what it should be in order to be a boy. Like I, like I, you know, I'm not sure if that makes sense, but I'm still trying to, because it's all, all mostly I happened subconsciously, and I could be telling myself a narrative now that isn't actually the case when I was a kid. But this is what essentially makes sense. Uh, yeah, um, thinking backwards. Um, uh, <laughs> I remember this one once. This is like one of my earliest memories is being in this in this preschool classroom and in, in the school. Excuse me, a Christian preschool classroom, and there was this this uh, young teacher up front. I think he was subbing in, or maybe he was just doing this presentation. Uh, so we were probably about four, four years old, five years old, possibly. Um, and, he, and he's holding this, this uh, phone book. And uh, he's like, who wants to come up here and tear this phone book in half? And I shot my hand up and no other kid in the class did. And he's like, oh, no, I, I was thinking one of the boys. And I remember being so ashamed right then. And none of the boys raised their hand, you know. <laughs> so, but I just remember thinking. Why did I, why did I, why was I so enthusiastic? I've always been really, really shy in public settings. And that shame I felt right then, I think, I think was like the catalyst for the shame to follow or that kind of social anxiety yeah. that followed. And, and one of those, that was one of many instances where I was, you know, kind of like shamed about behaving like a boy, which obviously it wasn't. I was just excited to try to tear a phone book in half, you know, like there's yeah. nothing gendered about that. Yeah. Um, but um, anyway, so just little things like that that I think I sort of internalized this, you know, this this supposed to be a boy feeling, and then um, and then as I grew up, I was very late to kind of develop, you know, and have like like um, I was late to puberty, which is obviously this is actually another trend that seems uh, prevalent in um, in female to male uh, transitioners is late onset puberty. Don't know why, but uh, yeah, that seems to be a, a factor um, in there. I think Sasha and Stella were talking about it at Interesting. one time, or maybe, maybe that, wasn't, that wasn't the case for me, but, oh, but okay. I, I have heard um, that a lot of, a lot of trans guys have gynecological problems, like yes. condition of which, which was true yep. for me. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That was true for me. Um, I, yeah, I, uh, yeah, started puberty late. And then when I, uh, when I had pu periods, they were agonizingly painful and also very irregular. Um, so it was, uh, weirdly, I didn't have dysphoria about the period situation, which is also unusual. I had extreme dysphoria about my, uh, my, uh, uh, you know, general region in general, and certainly my chest that my chest dysphoria was, yeah debilitating but um <laughs> but the period thing never bothered me i mean it was incredibly painful and horribly inconvenient but it didn't it didn't like have this kind of existential dread um about gender or anything uh which is weirdly usually not the case um but anyway it was so uh, uh so i didn't actually start like feeling kind of like um, like sexual attraction until i was in my late teens i want to say and it was only ever to men but it was always 
uh, there was never any division between envy and attraction. Like there was, it was basically the same feeling for me. Um, and yeah, that never went away until eventually at the age of 27, I learned about, or 26, I learned about uh, uh, transitioning and I learned the word gender dysphoria. And I was like, that's it. That's what it's always been. I'm not insane. Cause I never told anyone what I was feeling. I was, I always wished that I was a lesbian. I wish more than anything that I was, well, well, for most of all, I wish that I was a, a man, but obviously I couldn't do that. So I was like, man, I wish I was a lesbian. Yeah. The idea, but I was so, I had so much dysphoria about my own body. The idea of like, be, like women were, I, I projected my dysphoria, like women in general were just repulsive. Like, I'm not going to duplicate what is disgusting on my body. You know, like, why would I, why would I be sexually interested in that? Um, uh, so I, I was only ever with men. And then at, uh, at 26, when I did Decide, you know, I think it was 27 when I actually started testosterone. Um, my sexual orientation virtually shifted. Um, I, I hadn't even had um, any you know, surgery of any kind. It was just a few weeks on testosterone. I, I, it was probably placebo effect. Most of my own dysphoria went away, um, and suddenly women were everywhere, and they were just incredibly gorgeous. And I just, yeah, it was. It was uh, it was weird. Like usually, there's the other direction that the yeah. The, the yeah because most most transition or most FTM transitioners were lesbians, and then yeah. then the testosterone you know screws with with their sexual orientation. Um, and I and I was like, well, testosterone can't make me gay. Everybody's saying it's making them gay. Can't make me gay because you know I'm already gay. Obviously, we're using that word incorrectly here, but you know, um, at the time, that's what I was what I was thinking. Um, I've never heard but, that happening to trans women. Ever. No, no, no. I, th I think our sexuality is much more fluid than theirs. And also hormones aren't going there. We take a, a hormone that drastically increases and intensifies our, our, um, our sex drive. There's, it diminishes it. So it's not, I don't think it's not going to be the same. And I also think, I also think males are just more, more, um, I, th I don't think their, their sexuality is as fluid as ours. I think it's a little more solid, but, um, <clears throat> but anyway, yeah, so suddenly I was attracted to women, um, but that's leveled out. The, the attraction to men actually did uh, ultimately come back, but there was no more envy. I don't, I'm now attracted to, like, if I'm attracted to men, it's going to be like a pretty effeminate guy. Um, and I'm going to, you know, wish to anything he's actually FTM because, you know, that's, that's where, where my orientation uh, lies now. So like, I've got a partner, we're, we've been together for uh, three years now. He's also FTM. Um, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's weird how how it, it altered my sexuality to be primarily same sex attracted in a way that always uh, repulsed me before. But now now I'm like oh, dicks like that doesn't sound good at all, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah. So my that, I think I'm not sure that it's, I kind of went in the in a different direction there. But like um, my dysphoria uh, again just fell off a cliff essentially after I uh, kind of presented more male. Top surgery was still, no matter how gender critical I get, top surgery was the greatest day of my life. Like I, yeah, I have never once looked back from that. That was so relieving. And it's still to this day, um, just a sense of great contentment to me that those are gone. And they, yeah, even yeah. if I don't have access to testosterone anymore and like maybe things, you know, fat re ends up redistributing or whatever, as like that, that I can live with, but yeah. they'll never grow back. And that's, uh, yeah, but I also my heart goes out to many detransitioned women who who have so much trauma about the fact that they had top surgery and now deeply regret it. And yeah, yeah I, I feel really yeah, that's that's heartbreaking. Yeah, you know the the idea of you know rapid onset gender dysphoria. You know, I'm really curious if if they ex really experience that in the same way that 
those of us that had childhood onset gender dysphoria, like, is it the internal experience of that? I, I, I'm curious, is that the same? Um, um, you know, because, the, because the narrative is that this is innate and, you know, yeah. you're born with it and, you know, just like, yeah. being, just like being gay, right. You're born, born with it and it never goes away. And, and so conversion therapy efforts are, are harmful because you can't, you can't coerce somebody to change that. Right. Um, but the idea of, of both detransitioners and rapid onset gender dysphoria really challenge that narrative, right? If, if someone can acquire gender dysphoria and it, it truly does internally feel exactly the same as childhood onset gender dysphoria. Um, and then on the other side that some people can recover from gender dysphoria, it really challenges this narrative that it's just this innate wired into our brain's experience. It, it, def it definitely does. Yeah. It's, um, well, I mean, a lot of the detransitioners too did have early onset gender dysphoria. And that was one of those things that made me realize like um, there's w so many ways to look at this, but with rapid onset gender dysphoria, I think we're talking about, uh, at least two different things with rapid onset gender dysphoria. There's, there's kind of like either the the uh, like an uh, obsessive fixation. Um, oftentimes, there's like a history of eating disorders and and um, depression and anxiety. And I think this is just latched onto as this will fix it. This is the direction I need to go. And if you start um, like just just hyper fixating, I think it can easily. It can easily create what is very clinical uh, gender dysphoria when you're like, my body is wrong. This has to change. I need to, um, but it could just be born of a temporary obsession, right? Um, but still feel every bit as real as any, any other kind of uh, dysphoria, as real as any dysphoria it can be, that is. Um, <clears throat> but, but then in that same cohort of, of rapid onset gender dysphoria, we also have um, people who are literally um a, a, attached to to a trend a, you know the, the political reason or whatever it's like this is a way to be queer um or this is um uh, uh just um like i don't know this isn't the case for all like non-binary people but a lot of um people who are identifying as non-binary and then also seeking um physical transition to some degree i think a lot of that is kind of like there is a trend and it's it's somewhat glamorized to be trans right now and i think if so, a lot of people who are just in need of a club or um like a like a social cause and this is really appealing so this is certainly the case with like younger people i don't think anybody in their mid or beyond 20s is going to fall for this but younger people for sure um and then there's also um the post-puberty onset of gender dysphoria where these girls are suddenly getting a lot of male attention and they want to escape from it. And that can also present as very clinical uh, gender dysphoria. So, okay. So that's at least three things that I would, I would group under, under rapid onset uh, gender dysphoria. Um, yeah, but, yeah. I've definitely met the, the, the type of young person that, um, you know, very, very socially isolated, you know, on, on the autism spectrum or, or ADHD. Yeah. So they really struggle with social cues and, and fitting in they don't have a peer group and and then they you know they reach puberty where fitting into a peer group is is so important yeah it's very yeah. developmentally important for that age group and i mean people say it sounds far-fetched but i i remember what it felt like to be a teenager and and how important it felt to belong somewhere right and and yep. when that is your developmental task yep is to belong somewhere yep I don't think we should um, 
kind of discount how how powerful a drive that is and it doesn't seem far-fetched to me at all that if they kind of you know maybe meet some trans people online they kind of feel like they belong somewhere for the first time that yeah that um yeah you know and the trans the whole trans movement has become this kind of this um orthodoxy right it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, so if you just learn these rules then then it simplifies social engagement because you, yeah. you, you just throw a kid in, in you know a high school it, it, social and they have autism or adhd or something I, social interaction can feel quite complicated yeah yeah thick enough on social cues but it, if you have this structured orthodoxy and people just need to learn how to how to behave according to that almost like a plate like a rule book Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this provides that. Yeah. 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 No, that's such a good. So they find this kind of quirky peer group to belong to for the very first time. And so I, I can see the appeal. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. in itself isn't bad. No, no. It, it's the permit. If, if they take it, you know, a step further into the medicalization of it, that's where I start to have concerns. Like to what extent do we want to be kind of promoting this idea that you need to medicalize your body and, and, Cut, cut off parts of your body in order to do a social group. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Cause the scary thing is, is as you said, that's a completely normal developmental state for, for uh, certainly young teenagers, all teenagers, right? Well, all of us in general, but I mean, <clears throat> that it, it seems, it seems almost criminal to me that, that, that clinicians, that mental health care workers who obviously are trained in developmental psychology are completely throwing this all away and and just just pretending that that this is innate and it, it's just it's like everybody's gone completely um, completely religious because so it's 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 all propagated by like you said so not these only are these kids in need of a social community they found it it it, it also provides the answers as to why they're so socially awkward it's like oh it's because i'm trans right and that also makes you kind of like among the saints now so you're not just the awkward goofy kid who can't make friends you're now basically part of this this chosen few with this 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 cool thing right yeah. <clears throat> and then you've got the external culture just glamorizing and glorifying it and praising you every step of the way. <laughs> and then you have a, a you know, a, a, a current medical system that, that validates it with, with hormones and surgery. And it's like, we've every step along the way, we've all lost our minds. Like this, this is not how we should be approaching normal de developmental identification and kind of working out who you are yeah. is, is to, is to, chemically and surgically alter children it's just or young adults it's just <clears throat> yeah yeah it, and it, it seems like the clinicians that have, that have specialized in this work and have been specializing in this work for quite some time they're immersed in that culture as well right along yeah. along with the trans people immersed in this orthodoxy um and have become um trans activists themselves and and so i think they've got the same blinders as a lot of a lot of trans people do right it, 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 yeah because they've been immersed in it so long and i think so I, i'm impressed that some of the longtime clinicians have stepped forward and said okay look something's something's kind of gone off the rails here so i'm impressed that, that some clinicians have been able to do this work for many many years but have been able to maintain that clinical lens and not become oh yeah yeah what you, what i've seen with some clinicians is 
never never identified as trans, but then over the course of their career being immersed in this culture, have started to adopt trans identities themselves. I mean, it, it's wow. it, it is so. I mean that, and, and yet they deny that a contagion exists. oh it's it's amazing (laughs) oh wow yeah i mean well because they're 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 you know human and susceptible to to the you know cultural influences just like everybody else is yeah and it's just really remarkable that people start like you know so like an adult professional is working in that capacity and and starts to kind of realize like oh this presenting with this means you're trans or this feeling means you're trans I, i i'm trans too like I've got that, or I've felt that way, or you know, I'm not really comfortable with this such a thing. Yeah. I'm trans too, and so so it's kind of a, a remarkable that they would go, "Oh, I'm trans too," rather than going, "Wait a second, these are all just uh, normal human experiences that we're kind of putting into this very rigid, uh, rigid box and, and yeah. latching onto it." We, we um, could just yeah. call that personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So much of it. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. The culture's been inundated with this idea that that like you know this pink and blue. You know, it's like there are, there are men and there are women, and women feel this way and men feel this way, which is obviously not true. But then people are going, oh well, I feel a bit of this and a bit of that. I guess I'm trans rather than I'm just a normal person. You know, with a myriad of experiences and, and feelings. Um, it's been very clever marketing. Yes. 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 Very very yeah. clever. Yeah. Like, just co- just well, co-op that, that rainbow relationship with it, right? Because there's a part of yeah. me that's like. Man, Judith Butler was smart. Oh yeah, you know. It, I, I mean, as much as I, I I see the damage that these ideas have done to me personally, to my friends, to to now society at large. But at the same time, it, you know, you have to kind of kind of respect how it very smart the marketing has been. Yeah, to advance things as quickly as they have, and and I appreciate having rights, but it hasn't stopped there, right? We've had rights now for quite some time. Yeah. And how it's become a counterproductive to our goal to, to, just, to just belong in society and have rights and not be harassed. Now it's gone to, to the point where we're convincing, well, everybody is some degree of trans. Yeah. So it's almost like we've reset the normal. The, the trans, yeah. trans is actually the normal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? And, and if, you're not, if you're not trans, then, then you're actually the minority and something's wrong with you. It's, it's kind of the message that I feel okay. like it sort of flipped on his head, right? That okay. We've got, we've got a case here in Canada that's going to be heard by the Human Rights Tribunal in Ontario uh, because a little six-year-old girl came home from school one day very upset, saying that her teacher told, told the class that there was no such thing as boys or girls. And the, so the girl came home upset saying, but I feel like I'm a girl. So can you take me to the doctor? Because something might be wrong with me. So, so that's... That's how we've we've now completely reversed this, yeah. Into yeah. you know that that it isn't biological sex and girls and boys that are normal and, and we're the outlier because we have this condition called gender dysphoria. Now it's been flipped as well. No, the gender identity is something that everybody has, and you know they they teach kids the gender spectrum. So on one side is GI Joe and the other side is Barbie, and they get kids to plot themselves on the spectrum, and it. It's like, a, so anywhere, if you're not G.I. Joe or Barbie, then you're some degree of trans. It's, <clears throat> that's why it's gender ideology. That, that's what, or genderology. Like this is, it, it's a religion and, and we're teaching it in schools and it's, we don't teach religion in schools for very good reasons. I mean, I'm, in the U.S., we don't, can't, I don't know, like in Canada, I'm sure that's the same way as you, you don't teach, you can't teach a religion in a public school. Yeah. Um, may, maybe the theory of it, but, <clears throat> but these kids are being indoctrinated into the gender religion and, uh, 
and it's so it's way more way more mentally harmful than any other religion I've ever encountered. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's blowing my mind that this can even be happening. Yeah, yeah it's it's frightening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really frightening. It's disturbing a lot of kids. Yeah, and make making yeah, it's not just not just indoctrinating them into the. Because like that little girl and, and plenty of more kids to come are going to be like, well, for her, she's like, I do feel like a girl, you know, and, and she is a girl. So that's good. I mean, it's obviously upsetting her, but at least at least maybe she's not going to fall into the uh, uh, into the wrong line of thinking on that one. Yeah. Um, but plenty of other kids are. It's like, oh, G.I. Joe's cooler than Barbie. I like G.I. Joe. You know, all right. Puberty blockers for me. You know, like yeah. it, it's just uh, it's uh, certain, like kids are being taught that. Well, you can just pick whatever, whatever sex you are. You can, you know, it, it, this is just a, a choice that every single kid out there can make that you can either be a boy or you can be a girl. <laughs> I, I want to follow this. The, the, I don't, uh, I haven't read much by uh, Jennifer Bilek and her kind of investigations, um, but there's got to be so much, so much pharmaceutical lobbying that gets to this point. Cause like, oh. Why, why else are we teaching kids this? Like, why? Ge gender dysphoria used to be just like relegated to such a small portion of the population. It's a very rare condition to have. Um, and I didn't even have it to the extent that I would have sought out a doctor on my own volition. Like, I, I just always thought I was insane until I found it externally, right? So, <clears throat> So I wouldn't have even been one of those people who transitioned on my own accord. It took the internet, right? Mm -hmm. So, <clears throat> so I, I, th yeah, there could. I, I don't know where I'm going with this, other than this is not a natural state to be. This is not a normal state of human affairs to to alter your body in the direction of the other sex. Like, mm -hmm. it, it's. Why can't it, I? I know why I couldn't see it for a long time. You know. But when I had gender dysphoria and I told myself this, this narrative of why I had to change sex. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I do. Yeah. I don't understand how people outside of it don't, don't go. Human beings can't fucking change sex. Why are we teaching this to kids? Like, yeah. 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 Say it now we're not clownfish. <laughs> we are not. We are not. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Where things are complicated for me. I mean, I don't know if, if because you're American, I don't know if down in, in the U.S., if um, I imagine like Canada, there's regions where these ide ideologies are kind of hotter mm -hmm. than others. And, and sure. you know, we're both on the on the West Coast. So in, in you know, the Vancouver, Victoria coastal areas, this stuff is um, it, we're a real hot spot here. And had we're I not moved to Vancouver, like if I had stayed on the East Coast or in the prairies, I'm not entirely sure that I would have ended up transitioning uh, right, maybe right. at some point, but it wasn't until I moved <clears throat> to Vancouver and, <clears throat> and encountered um, just the prevalence of this way of thinking okay. that, that it's, it started to kind of, yeah. Yeah. That idea. I'm not, I, I definitely had gender dysphoria, right. But I was finding ways to make sense <clears throat> of that, you know, as part of a lesbian identity, there were lots of, mm -hmm you know, which lesbians and, and then the drag kings scene became popular for a while there. I don't know if it still is, but I, you know, I would go to house parties, um, you know, in different parts of, of Canada and, and go there and there'd be women dressed, dressed as men, but they weren't trans men. And they had, to my knowledge, none of them have transitioned. It was a part of 
lesbian culture. And, and I felt pretty comfortable with that. And I made sense yeah. of it that way until right. I moved to Vancouver. And Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, 15 years ago in, in the lesbian community, um, back then it was called gender identity disorder not gender dysphoria. And, and that was talked about pretty openly. And that was kind of thrown around that, that yeah. the talk about having gender identity disorder. And I think that was actually a protective factor for me that I did have quite a few years in the lesbian community and these conversations about gender identity disorder and, and, you know, the both gay men and lesbians experienced it. And, and that just seemed to be part of the gay and lesbian culture. Yeah. And I think having so many years of that has, has been a protective factor for me to not kind of buy into these ideologies to the same extent that, that others have, because I know that there are a lot of lesbians and gay men out there that have it and they're not right. trans and they've never transitioned. Um, right. So there's options, right? I mean, transitioning, yeah. it's the idea that what happened to me is I, I saw a, a documentary on TV Unfortunately, at a time in my life where I was undergoing a lot of a lot of stress and um, and there had been a gay man um, who had been murdered in in a, a park in Vancouver um, that had happened fairly recently. And that was on my mind. And it was really it was really disturbing for the whole entire gay and lesbian community. You know, that this very vicious murder. It was a targeted um, hate crime where, where uh, I think it was two or three guys came from, in from the suburbs into Vancouver with the intention of finding a gay man to beat the shit out of him. And they, they found him in Stanley park and, and beat him to death. Jeez. And so that was really weighing on me and they just different, you know, the breakdown of, of my first marriage and, and then when my daughter had just been born. So there were, there was a lot going on yeah. at that time. Yeah. And I saw this documentary on TV saying, talking about trans kids and that if you have these feelings, these cross sex identification feelings that meant you are a trans person. Right. So, yep. and that started to, yeah, like a little worm in my brain. It's like, okay, so me, it started to break down my identity. Right. It, and it started okay. to say, like, okay, so well, that's how I feel. And then I felt that way right from like my very earliest memories, like around age three, feeling that way. So I thought, oh, well, then I guess I'm one of those trans people that I'm not actually gay or lesbian after all. Right. Yeah. And so when you have doctors and the mainstream media and teachers and authority <clears throat> figures yep. saying this to us, yeah. it, it, it has a, you know, a, a believability because we want to trust these people in these positions of authority. So I thought, okay, yeah. so, so it completely, you know, flipped my, my identity uh, at, at a time where I think I was just more vulnerable and feeling because of that murder, feeling more afraid in the world, because I've always yeah. been very just innately masculine, and and I do have an intersex condition, so my testosterone levels are right. high. I, I okay. always was just very not a GI Joe, but more innately masculine. And right. even at times in my life where I tried to kind of put on a more feminine appearance just to try to fit in better, it, it yeah. didn't work for me. It looks so awkward, and so yeah. Um, I think I was, I think I was just uh, terrified at that point, you know, because I, I did receive a lot of harassment, like just walking down the street, appearing the way that I did, um, you'd get homophobic slurs, you know, screamed at me and stuff. And it, it really wore me down after a while, you know? right. after, after year after year of experiencing that kind of homophobia, um, 
in hindsight, I think this was kind of like a, a loophole that I found. Right. Not, not that I didn't have legitimate gender dysphoria, but the reasons for transitioning, I think, was kind of a loophole for me to it's like, okay, okay here's here's my escape from a trapdoor. Um, yeah. 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 Because now I can I can walk down the street and nobody bothers me, right? Like I just gotta blend into the world. But yep. but what but then when I moved away from Vancouver, so I, I'm now living, you know, kind of in a little town in the interior, and and so I'm not immersed in that culture anymore. That's when all of this started to just kind of dissipate. Not the okay. story, but that ideology started to dissipate because now okay. I have to just live in the world and, and try to carve out a space for myself as a, as a trans man in the, in the world where that's not really on people's radar in the same way. And, and people aren't, people aren't immersed in that culture anymore. And, and it, it's complicated because so then I've tried to do the stealth thing, but that really has, that's a heavy burden psychologically to always yeah. try to try to edit your stories and edit your history. And, and it just, yeah, exhausting trying yeah. to do that, right? So, yes, it is. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I think so. For me, the idea of just embracing that, okay, I've, I've got gender dysphoria and, and I've chosen this treatment, but I'm still a female with gender dysphoria that's masculinized. And, and that that's the only A, I think that's the truth. And, yeah. I, and B, I think, I think that's what the evidence supports. I mean, I've been looking at the evidence. There's no evidence of a gender spectrum. There's no evidence of a gender identity. There's no evidence of a male, male brain, female brain. So the only yep. thing that makes sense is just embracing that, okay, the gender dysphoria as a condition exists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. For, for a variety of reasons. Um, as far as the brain goes, I, th I think there is evidence. Well, there's like there's trends, right? That that um, males males brains typically <clears throat> look and function uh, a little bit differently. But uh, like we're talking about general trends, we're not talking about um, you can identify a person's sex by their brain. <clears throat> but I think the studies that that were used support the the, the trans narrative were done <clears throat> on uh, uh, basically uh, highly butch like highly butch lesbians as, <clears throat> as the trans men and then uh, highly effeminate, what Blanchard would call HSTS. Um, mm -hmm. who, who they, so <clears throat> anyway, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not good at kind of regurgitating the res the research, but apparently what, what others have said is essentially what they were taking was um, hy hyper homosexuals that in, and basically showing that their brains function similar to the opposite sex. Uh, so, so there, therefore, you know, trans women more like regular women. But it, it was, it was, it was not about gender. It was about sexual orientation. Yeah. So, what would my brain look like under the same circumstances? Because I was always oriented towards towards males, and you know, norm naturally rather before before additional uh, testosterone. Um, I, so I wouldn't be, you know, my brain wouldn't come out. Well, I don't know. Again, when we're talking about the hyper or the the overexposure to testosterone the womb potentially could be the result of more masculine interests um and more masculine identification as it were and then obviously the whole um uh, uh, uh like um a weird puberty uh uh probably endometriosis is probably what i had it was never diagnosed but uh things like that i'm not sure if that correlates but we don't know at this point and you obviously are 
can't research what causes dysphoria or anything like that anymore because again it's gonna it's gonna quash the narrative of gender um, but i don't think gender exists i don't think we have a gender i think i i also like gender identity disorder like i, I was writing about in that um uh, and that conversion therapy piece I wrote is that gender identity disorder makes much more sense to me and feels much more accurate than gender identity. Mm-hmm. Um, like to identify as a man is, is meaningless. Um, but, um, but having a gender identity disorder that feels, that feels accurate to, to, to where dysphoria comes from um, in, in our case, certainly. But um, uh, what else was I going to say? Oh, it was interesting what you were saying, because you're in Vancouver, I'm in Bellingham, right? So, like, we exist very much. And then, like, then if you follow that all the way down to probably probably San Francisco, on this side of the Cascades, we're all drinking the same juice. It's like the same, that same Cascadia culture. Um, you get east of the mountains, and we're, at least in, on, in, uh, on my side of the border, it's a completely different world as far as culturally and how, how the trans issue is probably discussed. Uh, but on this side, it's very... It's very one story, and that is the and that is the gender juice. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, <clears throat> sorry, that was jumping around, kind of touching on a few things that you said in there. Yeah. Uh, and despite the fact, you know, you were talking earlier about how within the trans community there really hasn't been a single narrative. I mean, because there is all that infighting. It's no, it's this. No, it's this. No, I identify this way. No, I identify, you know, as as trans, and it, I never wanted to actually, you know, <clears throat> um, appear the the opposite sex like some actually i've heard people say when they're taking testosterone they're actually upset by how much it masculinizes them because they they wanted to kind of fit more in that you know gray space (laughs) and so you you hear all these stories and so it's interesting how just this one single narrative has rose to the top in terms of policy and and law and and i don't understand how that happened because there's no consensus in the clinical community or within the trans community about what this means and, and yeah, how we yeah. their identities. But these certain ideas have, uh, you know, so people are speaking on our behalf saying, this is what it means. And we're going to write policy at an international level based on one person's perspective on yeah. what it means to them. Yeah. Yeah. And it completely conflicts with this other person's perspective. And, you know, when you, when you branch the two together, they, they, again, they conflict and invalidate each other, making the whole thing fall apart. But everybody just pretends, oh, no, it's just one happy community. And it all makes sense under this, this trans umbrella. And it's just, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's madness. But like what, what you're saying with like people who are um, offend or like they, 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 they start taking testosterone. And then um, I've noticed this as well as like people are upset that they're being treated like men. Um, you know, it's like, well, I don't want to be a man, you know, and that was a, um, again, one of those uh, when I kind of got wind of the massive explosion of uh, FTM transitioning, uh, one of them that I was uh, uh, friendly with at the time was saying that um, uh, that that they never wanted to pass as a man; they wanted to pass as a trans man. And I was so profoundly offended by that when I heard it. It was like I was like my because because that was an, an insecurity that I always had. It's like I w- I don't want to be this third thing. You know, it's like I, I feel like I should be a man. I want to live and present as a man. Um, but there's there's no getting around the fact that I just am a trans man. You know, being a man is not is not possible. Um, but anyway, it was just so. And then and then he seemed just completely dumbfounded by the idea that I just wanted to live and be a man in the world. And he was like, oh, I, I want to be trans, you know, and I, as offended when people don't see him as a trans man, but 
uh, but as a man and uh and yeah and that and that's and so my initial feeling was just so much so much anger and like so so uh, um but then and there were there were a lot of other things i got wind of that were along those same lines where my initial feeling was just i was so offended i felt like this is like the most cruel appropriate not, not the most cruel but it is the most dangerous appropriation that's for sure um and and so so th- those feelings of just of anger at that quickly shifted to how widespread that thought process is and how widespread therefore of a medical emergency we have on our hands here and that, that my being offended about my identity being invalidated or whatever is kind of small beans in the grand scheme of what's of what's happening here yeah, they're competing agendas. Yeah, yeah. When when yeah. some people are just you know doing this the stealth thing and they're just trying to you know they transitioned and now they're just out in the world, you know, blending in and and just getting on with their lives, living as as men. Um, and then those that, that they very much kind of wear the sort of the big trans banner over their heads everywhere they go, right? Like it's yeah, important yeah. for them to to be seen through that kind of rainbow lens and, yep. and it, so they are competing agendas and it's it's um and that i think the radicalization of trans politics is making it a lot harder to just live in the world and, and get on with my life and um it's making it i think less safe so on one hand you know trans has become very powerful the trans lobby yeah. and, and has advanced yeah. very quickly but it's also fueling this more and more hostility towards everything queer and trans. And it's interesting how uh, seeing it play out in the UK, because I think they're, you know, a few years ahead of us in, in seeing this, this play out and progress. And um, it's interesting that those who identify as transsexuals who really do want to just exist in the world as the opposite sex and have learned how to do that successfully are the ones stepping forward and saying, well, no, I'm not actually mm-hmm, the other mm-hmm. sex. I'm just living as the other. So it's, it's it, I don't know how to articulate it. That it's, it's contradictory, like, isn't it? It's contradictory. Yeah. But yeah. It, it's, but they're the ones stepping forward. And, but I think it's because, and, and I would, I would say I'd follow into fall into that category. Sure. Yeah. I'm living yeah. my life as a man. I'm trying to, I think I do that fairly successfully. Um, but I think when you live in authentic relationship with people, that requires honesty. Yeah. And I think the, the political lobby, I don't know that they really believe that they really change sex either, but they're projecting that image, right? That we're yeah. this unyielding political lie, basically, this, this political fiction that they're just kind of pushing onto the world with no, no negotiation. So it's this very authoritarian, yep. not going to compromise. Yep. That I think is doing far more harm than, than good because you can't have trusting, authentic relationship of any kind based on a force, you know, forcefulness and, and a lie. Yeah. So yep. Being much more successful politically, um, certainly in my social world of just saying, Hey, you know, this is, this is my reality. You know, I had gender dysphoria. This is the treatment I saw it. It's been helpful. I'm not trying to harm anybody. I'm not trying to lie in or pull, right. pull, pull, pull the wool over anyone's eyes here. Right. I'm getting on with my life. I think that's for most people, that's, that's what they need. Right. It's very reasonable to most people too, yeah. but instead, 
and instead this 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 contradictory kind of Orwellian um, uh, hellscape has been has been imposed where people are yeah they're forced to lie um, and and that uh, it, that obviously makes people very very resentful um, and it's it's very counterintuitive to to certainly trans acceptance and then uh, trans rights and um, but it, what I was saying is contradictory is that it is interesting that it's us, the transsexuals who are saying, no, 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 you know, we are, you know, either male or female, we are transitioned to present as the other sex. It is, it is a, um, it's a cosmetic uh, fiction that makes us feel better, you know? Um, and then it's the people who, who are, who are just, yeah, as you said, like uppercase T just really stoked on, on, you know, all things trans and being this, um, uh, yeah, this other, right? Like it's it's somewhere in the middle, and they're the ones who are being so authoritarian and um, forcing this lie. Which again, it's a lie that they don't even believe because because they don't even. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it's very it's very hard to articulate what's going on. Yeah, and and then the the whole language issue, right? The the compelled yeah. speech, the the rewriting of language, you know, the birthing birthing parent or birthing person rather than mother and and the vilification of women who object to being erased by this language it's like and that, that's not happening to men like we don't no, oh no men aren't, men aren't being called testicle danglers or whatever right? like it, it's only, yeah, it's yeah. only the, the female language that's being rewritten and um, yeah yeah in early in my transition i had to sit and gynecologist's office and yeah it feels awkward whatever but it's uh it never occurred to me that i need to rewrite the language that everybody yeah. uses to, to accommodate me and make my awkwardness feel better like right <laughs> yep yep so yeah that's, that's a very new phenomenon <laughs> right that it is it is yeah yeah and i don't know how the um i i, I think um not to be too to gender I, or whatever, but I, I think, I think that's, that's a, that's certainly a more female way of approaching the situation is like, I, you know, I'm going to blend myself into this situation and not cause a fuss. And I think what we see, um, most of the activism is happening on the male to female transitioner side. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm curious though, what it was like in the past before this forced fiction was imposed, because I think much of the forced fiction is due to uh, autogynophilia, right? The, the um, basically these, these male to female transitioners who <clears throat> their, their content or their, their kind of sense of, identity is a 24 seven fiction. And when anything is presented to them that contradicts that fiction, it, it's just, it's just hostility and they will not tolerate it. They won't stand for being misgendered. Right. And so, so when there's anything that is presented to them that points out that they are not female, they cannot have it. And I think that's why we're rewriting female language and not rewriting male languages, because for us, we don't, we don't live. And I don't, I don't think this is the case for any, or at least not not very many, uh, FTM transitioners who who are who are living a twenty four seven fantasy. It's like we're pretty aware of what it is we've done and we're doing, and and what we are. And even the ones who are all gung ho on the gender juice are still they're even them. They're actually probably more in touch with their you know oh you know I'm you know I belong in womanhood and yada yada. They, that seems to be the case uh, with them. But it's the but so in the past, I think most of the, the female to male or the male to female transitioners were the HSTS kind who were also aware of the fact that they were male 
their their experience of gender dysphoria is more attuned, I think, with ours, is that it's more comfortable to live and present as a woman. Uh, it's helpful for their sex lives, you know, to, to do that. And uh, But they were aware of the fact that they were male. Like, I don't think, but with, but with the autogynophilia kind of taking center stage now, and of course, well, it's, it's taking center stage, but nobody knows it or is allowed to say it but that's what's happened is is, is autogynophilia has taken center stage and these these you know heterosexual males who are um you know aroused or even just just attracted to being women that's that's um that's a fantasy they have to 24 7 sustain or it falls apart because they're not naturally feminine they're not um it's it is 24 7 fantasy and then they're using that same kind of very entitled uh perspective to 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 shove laws down other people's uh you know on on our behalf it's like we don't want this we you know nobody else wants this but they pretend that their agenda that their uh desires are are the the trans community um i'm not speaking in specifics i'm speaking very vaguely but it's just uh it's just something i've i've noticed i'm not sure if you're kind of seeing the same thing yeah, or i'm seeing the same thing okay and i've wondered that too like what is driving this changing of the of the language around womanhood, right? Or mother, right. yeah. Um, because I, yeah, I I have trouble believing that that's being driven by trans guys, you know, because it yeah. humanizes us too. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're just birthing people. <laughs> yeah, it, yep. it's, it's, menstruators. Yeah, it 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 um it dehumanizes all of us, and it, maybe there are you know, some trans men out there kind of pushing this, but nobody I know. It's uh, so it 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 does make more sense to me that it's, it's a certain cohort of trans women who don't want to be excluded from the word woman. Yep. 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 And I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas again, and I think, I think, I think with the, 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 the the cultural shift to trans being good and beautiful and glamorous and wonderful, a lot of these, you know, um, uh, heterosexual men who maybe had this private fantasy that they lived out occasionally um, are now able to bring it into a full time because it's no longer vilified. It's now actually opposite. It's well, depending on where in the world you are, but it's it's glamorized and it's praised. Um, and so, so I, I think I think autogynophilia is incredibly is much more common than uh, than we previously would have thought, certainly more than than Blanchard would have thought in his research, because, again, these are only the people who are desperate enough. And it's so because it does cause certainly later in life, very severe gender dysphoria, you know, like and that's you know where people are drawn to actually get orchiectomies and vaginoplasties and whatnot um uh, is because the gender dysphoria at their body contradicting that fantasy it becomes very very severe um but i so i think in the past when when trans was so vilified and these were just heterosexual men and they could just get on with life as heterosexual men as long as the you know they didn't develop debilitating dysphoria but so again now that it's so praised and celebrated i think a lot of these you know certainly young men are going, wait, I've always felt this way. And they go on online forums. They're like, Oh, it means you're trans. You know, it's like, Oh, great. You know, like it's, it's very, it really feeds into the AGP mindset. And at Blanchard um, tweeted recently um, that for some exhibitionism can, can be a, a feature of AGP. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes sense if, if AGP, if you think of it as like a sexual orientation, that that, that wouldn't wax and wane, right? A sexual orientation tends to be a permanent part of, of a person, same as being straight or, or gay. Um, 
So it makes sense that that wouldn't wax or wane. Whereas for me, my dysphoria has the intensity of it has waxed and waned throughout my okay. life. And, and I don't need to um, actually believe that I'm the opposite sex in order to resolve the dysphoria. For me, just right. physical cosmetic changes to my body resolves it. And, and I do think a lot of the anxiety that I had been feeling as a result of gender dysphoria was more about how other people were interacting with me. Like I said, that, that homophobia of being the, the right. far outlier on the, you know, the male end of being a female person. Right. So like you said, that the homosexual type of, of gender dysphoria, that they've got some, some lesbians that are, or women that are just so masculine that yeah. that's, hard, that's hard in society or so, or, or guys that are just so innately feminine that it's hard for them in society. And it's just easier, easier. Yeah. to fit into the world as it is by transitioning. Yeah. But we don't really have that same invested interest in actually both, you know, convincing ourselves that we are. Yeah. Sex. Yep. AGP yep. doesn't work, right? That, that Unless it's convinced. Yeah. It's convincing and, and everyone believes it and, and that you can convince yourself. But yep. Yep. And then anything that, that contradicts it, anything that, that, that abuts the fact that, that it's not true um, is, is uh, yeah, it, it seems to cause a lot of, a, a lot of anger and resentment mm -hmm. and um, yeah. And they're working against our interests because yeah. Yeah, my, my agenda and what, where, why I'm starting to speak out about stuff is knowing the impact of, of homophobia on my decision to transition, something has to be done about homophobia. I mean, yeah, I found this loophole and, and took the escape hatch, but I still care about homophobia and we still, right, need, right. We still need to do something about homophobia. Right? I don't want to be Iran where everybody, all gay and lesbian people transition in order to escape homophobia. Right. So we, I want to advocate as, as many of us are advocate for true gender diversity in the sense that women get to be a whole range of things. And that should yeah. be socially acceptable. And men should get to be a whole range of things. And that should be socially acceptable. And actually really, truly embrace diversity so that we don't have to yeah. take, you know, lifelong. That's a huge burden for me to take on lifelong medicalization. The surgeries are awful. The medication is now at this point in my life having, you know, a, an impact on my health. That's a huge right. burden on us in order to escape homophobia. So something needs to be done about that but the AGPs sure. don't really like that agenda no 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 in fact and in fact a lot of the trans activism is actually just it is homophobia in and of itself mm -hmm. um or or at least it's denying the reality of same-sex attraction um and it it's um yeah it's very it's very counterintuitive to the to the um the rest of the rainbow's um interests um but i agree with what you're saying is like if we if the, the homophobia, I couldn't call it homophobia in my case, obviously, but I think a lot of the early life sig social signaling uh, that I guess a lot of probably butch lesbians experience is similar to what I experienced, even though I, I didn't actually end up growing up to be um, a lesbian, but it was very much this constant, like, girls don't behave this way, you're not acting right, and then, like... Um, as, you know, being too masculine in here and getting these those external that external social feedback that makes you feel raw in some way, and I think that's what a lot of uh, a lot of you know 
highly masculine, you know, girls who are going to grow up to be lesbians and highly effeminate boys who are going to grow up uh, to be gay men internalize this message. It becomes their body is wrong and we have to change our bodies in order to, um, but like in your experience that like, so homophobia didn't really, wasn't really an issue for me obviously because i only attracted to men but but for me i had a lot of uh, dissonance about uh, dissonance i think that's the word cognitive dissonance um because because to, to me I, I was a gay man like i was just uh, like this stupid i make fun of it now but i very much felt like i was a gay man in a woman's body right it's like um my sexual orientation wasn't that big of a factor so much that it's it was um like i could kind of be in my head in my head, I thought of myself as male, right? All along. Um, I even ended up marrying a man um, because I was attracted to him, you know, like I, I you know, de de definitely fell in love and everything, but I had so much dissonance around the fact that I was um, like female, but, or that I, that I was attracted to men and I was actually female. But to me, the concept that I was a straight woman just did not exist like that. It made no, it was just wrong. It felt like an absolute lie. Um, and so, uh, that's a side story. But anyway, so I never had, uh, I didn't have to deal with homophobia. I just, so there was never anything external. It was all internal for me as like, this is not right. I am not what, what is seen, what is reflected. Um, which of course I was, it was just dysphoria, you know, that was, that was <laughs> making all this noise in my head about it all. But, um, uh, uh, anyway, but so no, I didn't, I didn't experience homophobia as I, you know, after, you know, as an adult, right? And so that didn't ever play a part in my decision to transition, like it did for you, where you're conti you continued to get that external social messaging telling you that you're not right, that you don't fit in with, uh, you know, the rest of the the, the male, female, man, woman population, uh, and that didn't that never went away for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I think um, you know both of us have probably been accused of of aligning ourselves with the you know the evil turfs. Oh yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but for me. <laughs> For me, what they're saying, and, and I mean, I was a feminist long before I transitioned, and what they're saying fits better with, in alignment with my, with my goal socially, not, not personally, but, but socially, that this, this idea that we need to do something about gender stereotypes and we need, to, we need to actually embrace true diversity. That's what the feminists have been doing long before trans ever became, you know, a hot topic of expanding what it means to be a woman and expanding what it means to be a man so that people can just innately be themselves without feeling like they need to fit into these tight little boxes. So it's yep. interesting to me yep. how the feminist and, and the gender ideology is kind of really butting heads over this. Yeah. But for me, it, it, it's just kind of a no-brainer no that because my goal is to um, expand and, and make it more socially acceptable for people to be outliers on those, the far ends of that spectrum, not the gender spectrum, <laughs> yeah. that, but that the, there's a range of, of innate personalities and, and physical traits um, within the female sex class and the male sex class. And, yeah. and we don't have to, we shouldn't have to cross over to being male just because we're the far outlier on yep. the traits. Right. So. Yep. Ideally, people wouldn't need to transition because they could just innately be themselves and express themselves and and feel safe in the world. And right, um, right. so the the those that are and it's not all AGPs. I really respect those that have come forward and say, 
yes, I have a GP. I, I really, mm-hmm. you know, like the Debbie Hayden's and mm-hmm. like, yep. I really respect that um, yep. because we can work, we can work with that. Right. It, Absolutely. It doesn't, yeah. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, it's this horribly pathologized thing. As long as people are willing to be honest and engaging respectfully in the yep. world. So I, yep. I, I have absolute respect for that. Um, and it makes it a lot harder for people to kind of bury the reality of AGP when people are stepping forward and saying, well, actually I have it. So (laughs) exactly. Um, but those that are, um, and they hate us for that. Not, uh, I mean, like obviously AGPs hate the the self-aware AGPs, but but I think the trans community at large hates it when they come forward and be like, oh no, it's just this, this, and this. And that's when they're like, you know, self-hating internalized transphobia, shut up turf, you know? Yeah. (laughs) They hate it. So, I mean, all this conflict that's brewing in our, in our society, um, more so in the UK than here, but I I do think it's coming here quite soon. I think we're probably about a a year or so out, um, just in my read of, of kind of the rumblings under underground. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like that conflict is mostly between AGP and feminism. Yeah. Yeah. Less so than, than just trans and feminism. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. I think, yeah, that is the primary. Um, obviously, a lot of the feminists have have take issue with um, you know masculine girls being told societally that they need to transition. Obviously, feminists are going to take a big issue with that. But as far as the actual um, policy uh, the changes, ideologically, yeah, the ideological butting heads. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 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 I would agree with that because I don't feel like I'm at odds with feminism at all. Nor I. It no. actually better explains my experience than. Yep than the gender ideology does. Oh, exactly. And so yep. it's important to me that this becomes part of the, of the public debate because I don't, I don't want, I don't want to go down with, with the ship, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because I don't feel like I'm in conflict with the world and I don't feel I'm in no. conflict with women and I'm more than happy to have a public conversation about, okay, how do we make this work so that everyone's safe and everyone can get along and I'm uh, not trying to invade anyone's private spaces and, you know what Buckingham right. says, like we get to carve out our own spaces, not just hijack yep. other people's spaces. So. Yeah, yeah, yep. And I think that's where the bathroom issue becomes such a such a contentious issue. Is also the from the the AGP angle is because um, you know they 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 want to colonize spaces specific for females to to validate their gender identity without any regard for the feelings of the people already in that space, you know, for any, any fear that they may be causing when, and that's the reality of AGP is they rarely pass, you know? And so it's like, so they don't consider the fact that, um, that, that when that, that's, what's so telling about the male entitlement is like, they, they think that they can just, well, it's like, I'm a woman, I'm a woman by law. I belong in this space without any consideration for how the actual women in that space feel about it. Um, And, and that's that's not something you would ever see a um, like a homosexual like a the again the Blanchard typology an HSTS behaving that way. Um, I can't imagine it anyway. I don't know if that's the case, but um, it just seems it just seems like a very a very AGB behavior where it's like this space exists to validate my and again no 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 offense at all to the to the AGBs who are not behaving this way, but I think I think it's a result of of the uh, the prevalence of transitioning. Mm-hmm. Uh, heterosexual uh out of men um and there's this anyway. underlying like well sometimes overt and but otherwise underlying kind of seething hostility towards women 
Yes. yes. You have this thing I want so badly to have and will never have is what you're telling me. No. Right. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Both of those things. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And that's, that's the weird thing is like I've said before, it's like they seem less in touch with actual women than any other heterosexual men do because, because they see, they see, they see something that they, that they want to, they're, to possess there are obviously heterosexual men can be quite you know possessive of, of women but but in a very different way like well i mean literally possessed like literally um uh to 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 entirely co-opt and they they see they see uh an object they wish to to possess and embody and less so a full human being because to them so much of womanhood is just a performance and a costume and it's like and here is this yeah, it's hard for me to articulate, but it seems to me that they are less in touch with actual women's inner lives and feelings, and than than any other heterosexual men are, um, just because of that 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 covetousness, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. It, it's sort of a lack of empathy sometimes. Entirely. Yeah. Yep. Yes, indeed. Yep. I think we've got some good stuff here, Aaron. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> this is good. This is good. <laughs> Um, I'd love to, you know, moving forward, I mean, it, happy to, to chat with you one-on-one anytime, but it would be great to, to pull in other trans guys too. And just, yeah, just, just kind of the, co- the kinds of conversations that we're used to having just sitting around, you know, the campfire or in the living room and having a beer or a coffee and, and just yep. chatting, right. Because we, we have these private conversations all the time, but I think I think we're at a at a point in history where we need to to open that up and and let yeah. the world into those conversations. Yes, indeed. Yes, it, it, certainly at a time when so much propaganda is out there that that pulls the wool over what these individual experiences are, um, people need to know. So, and yeah, and then also my prayer, Mary. Um, when I was thinking about like putting together like a project, I was just going to interview a bunch of. Uh, trans men, but I never, I'm, I'm such a planner and very little action ever happened. So, um, so I'm really thankful that you reached out to do this because it's so, we just, just have a conversation, you know, and like anybody can, can tune in and watch or participate um, is, is yeah, a good way to, to go about it. But I think what, what's most important is for people who are, who are kind of um, maybe, maybe inundated in the, in the YouTube influencer culture of trans men, trans men, and um, it, it presents a very glossy, um, unrealistic um, experience. Uh, it's steeped in the ideology and whatnot. Um, and yeah, and there needs to be an alternative out there uh, for, for young questioning people. Yeah. And that's, that's very much the spirit in which I created um, Gender Dysphoria Alliance Canada is I, I yeah. wanted to be a place of, of storytelling right that that isn't about marketing it's it's mm-hmm. um that's just you know because most of our stories don't really align with with the branding of of everything trans right now yeah and so yeah. i wanted but not everyone feels comfortable because of this political climate where people feel attacked anytime they they contradict the narrative yeah not everyone feels safe to to tell their story in, in an open and honest way so i, I hope to create a platform for people that even if they need to do it anonymously, but to try to get their stories out. Good. Yeah. Um, you know, whether that's a detransitioner story or ROGD story or people that are happy with their transition, but just, you know, just want to talk openly about what that means for them. Yeah. 
to open this up, you know, to humanize this actual experience and, and be honest and truthful about it. Um, to, yeah. As, as an alternative to the, the marketing and branding. Yep. 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 Absolutely. And I, like, I, yeah, I think we should get other, uh, get as many people kind of on this, you know, talking with us on here as, as possible as well as originally I was thinking trans men, but why not get, you know, the Debbie Haytons and, you know, like uh, other trans women on here as well. Cause that's obviously uh, just as, just as important, you know, to, to yeah, hear I mean, we have quite a, quite a hefty community network of people yeah. exactly the way we do. So we, we need yeah. to ensure that, because I feel like the trans community, and this isn't new, the trans community has always had these, it's actually, it's never been one community. It's sort of been these, these kind of two major streams and nuances within those streams, but two primary streams. Um, and I feel like our side of, of the trans community, our, our voices have been silenced in this whole public discourse. Yeah. And maybe because we are just living our lives. And I think a lot of people that think the way we do are, are probably pretty oblivious to how this is playing out on this, the social stage and what that will mean for us yeah. moving forward Yeah, when there's an eventual backlash and, and interpreting that backlash as, as, you know, transphobia and, exactly. and all of us. And it's, it's not, it's this very tiny cohort of our community that's been speaking on our behalf Mostly yeah. PQPs, as you said, is yeah. my, my interpretation. Blanchard has said that as well. So I don't yeah. think we're off base here. A lot of people are okay. seeing that, um, speaking on our behalf and, and ruining it for all of us yep. And, yep. And, and leading us down this path of where it's going to start to become unsafe for all of us. So yep. Yep. it's important we take this back and take the narrative back. Indeed, indeed. When I got wind of it again, like about three years ago, it was kind of like I had a decision to make. Was I going to duck my head down, go stealth, because I knew this ship was sinking at that point, you know, it's like, or, or do I help, help, uh, help get people off of it? Or, or like, or kind of just, just, it was like, it was like either, either go underground. And I think a lot of people have, have woken up to some, some of our ilk are oblivious to it still, but I think a, a significant portion have, are aware of it and have not made that decision to, mm-hmm. to go completely stealth and just, check out of the whole the whole conversation and then and then a few of us are like no we just got to we need to um we need to throw the veil off and and expose this for what what it is um and not in a bad way but in a, in a way that's like there there could be a lot of good uh that that we can do here to correct the direction that that is going in yeah i agree well i really appreciate the conversation yeah, yeah, me as well, me as well. Awesome. Do you want to start playing on something regular? Maybe, I mean, Sunday mornings are, are would probably work for me. I'm not sure if you have a what what your schedule looks like on a recurring. Yeah, basis. normally that, that works really well for me too. Everyone here sleeps in Sunday mornings, so it's a great. There time. we go. I get up a bit earlier, and I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna stop record now, and we can just have, have a. Okay. Chat.